News. 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 New York City. The FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. Okay, welcome to FAQ NYC. It's Chrissy Greer. And Harry Siegel. Um, today is impeachment day on Wednesday, so Harry will be in and out of the podcast. But today we have Eljoy Williams. Yay! I'm so excited. I can't hide it. Um, Eljoy is the president of the Brooklyn NAACP and also the host of Civic Sunday. Sunday uh, Civic. Sunday, excuse me. I have a, I have a weird, I mix things up constantly. Sunday Civics, where Eljoy essentially breaks down our complex political system uh, because civics isn't really taught in schools these days. And so many people don't know the difference between a mayor and a state senator and a a member of the House of Representatives uh, and all the different ways that their local government, their state government, and their federal level government work to improve their lives. So, welcome. Thank you so much. Hopefully today you can just help us Understand the landscape of New York City. We have so- <laughs> just, how many shows are we doing? We're today? just going to do in quick thirty minutes. LJ is going to is going to break down uh, the past, present, future of New York City politics. No, but Harry and I really wanted you on because one, we wanted you to tell us a little bit more about Sunday Civics. Sure. Two, we wanted you to tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing with the Brooklyn NAACP, and three, I really wanted to talk to you about your opinion on the passage of ranked choice voting, proposal Mm. number one. And I wanted us to have a conversation about what we think 2021 will look like for the mayor's race now that we have ranked choice voting. I have a few, I think that there's some candidates that could definitely benefit from ranked choice voting and some others who might be harmed by it. Well, yeah, well, wow. You're you're like, let's jump in. Let's do that one. (laughs) That's a lot. Okay. So starting first with Sunday Civics, really my idea in starting the show, you know, as you know, I've been podcasting in different capacities for a very long time. Before it was called podcasting. And, you know, what's funny is I make this joke on Twitter all of the time that particularly a number of political reporters here in New York now, when I would talk about the podcast, uh, it was, you know, This Week in Blackness, Blackening It Up, you know, sort of all the different times, uh, names that we had. And we were doing it out of the person who created the show, like out of his living room, whatever. And a political reporters used to be like, so you do some kind of show what is, in someone's living room? Like, everybody was always mm-hmm. perplexed. And, you know, I would bring elected officials there. And they'd be like, is this somebody's house? Like, whatever. <laughs> and now everybody and their mama have a podcast. <laughs> so Everyone. Everyone. David Gura literally just tweeted out yesterday or two days ago. He has ago. a podcast like, now? No, he said he's the only one who doesn't have a podcast. <laughs> He's like, I'm literally the only person on the planet who doesn't have a podcast. Yeah. So so it's it's very interesting to me, like, being in this space now, like, having done it so long mm-hmm. um, and seeing how things have ebbed and flowed and changed. But um, I had the idea for Sunday Civics for a while, and it came out of my background of doing politics, doing community organizing, doing social justice work. And one of the things that was always constant was teaching people about the process. And that was teaching regular folks, you know, who are not, you know, in politics, have no interest in being in politics of, okay, this is how the structure works. Here's the decision maker we have to uh, connect with, you know. So there was always some element of civics teaching that needed to happen. 
happen, even to other elected officials. Mm -hmm. I can remember many a times being in the room with council members here, um, some of them not in, you know, in higher office now or in different places, and telling them what power they have based upon the city charter or based upon, you know, previous laws that were passed. So it's not just, civics is not just isolated to people who are not, you know, in the business, is it also sometimes reminding people or educating people who hold positions on what they actually have the power to do? Right. Because, I mean, you've been really generous in coming to my classes and talking to my students in various semesters that I've had, um, you know, when I've taught campaigns, elections and parties and urban politics. And I remember one of the examples you used with my students that really resonated with them and stuck with me uh, was about um, alternate side of the street. Yeah. Like, tell our listeners about that. Because, I mean, I think my students were floored. I mean, for those of us who live in New York City and have to move our cars on, you know, Monday, Thursday or Tuesday, Friday. And in my neighborhood now, it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So it's three days out of a week on each side. Right. So I think I was... Maybe at City Hall, maybe under Gifford Miller at the time or something. I was, I remember in the crates. I know. (laughs) And I remember having to go to a community meeting on a different topic to represent the speaker. I think it was when I was in the speaker's office. And before they got to the topic I was there to talk about, I was sitting in the back and they were talking about issues. And one of the issues they were talking about was that the street cleaning was too much Mm -hmm. um, for a block. And so I just, blurred out, I was like, well, y'all can change that. And like, everybody's turning to look at me and they're like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was like, it's based upon a cleanliness score. I was like, so if you have, you know, a cleanliness score of a certain amount, and I don't remember what it is now, then that's why they do three days mm-hmm. instead of two. And so if you work, if you have a black association or whatever, and y'all work together so that you have three consecutive cleanliness score below a certain amount, yeah. right, then you can... um you know, advocate to the city, you know, your council member in sanitation about reducing street cleaning to two days. And they're like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so they ended up organizing and doing it and reducing the street cleaning options on their block. And then, you know, and I use that example to talk about when you connect with people in terms of for civics, political action or anything. And people like to start with go vote and particularly go vote for president. Right. And there's this huge disconnect between how people can see that one vote made an impact mm-hmm. on their, you know, immediate life and, or their and the trash life. on their stoop. Right. Mm-hmm. However, if you hook someone or educate someone with this is how you can change something like trash on your street or why the school doesn't have, you know, a library or something like that, people see an immediate um, or at least see something happening and then they want to do the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so that group, they were like, okay, well, what do we do next? <laughs> you know, like right. they were looking for what's the next thing I do in my community to like, you know, to improve it. Um, and that's my method of teaching civics and uh civic and political engagement in general is sort of finding out what matters to a person, to a community, to an organization at that moment and seeing what are what are the smaller things that they can get a win on and then you get addicted. Then you right. want to That's exactly do the next thing and the next thing because said. I saw some result um, of my action. 
And that's, you know, to transition to doing the show is like I wanted more people to understand how things work, who's responsible for what. And to me, you cannot empower people without giving them that type of education. Otherwise, you're just, people like to use the phrase of political empowerment, um, but what you're doing is just giving people a little bit of information for your will to be done, right? This is like, and I want to- their own. And not their mm-hmm. own. And so empowering people politically, civically, even economically, you also have to be prepared that they may not follow your political values, they might want to do something different or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between empowerment. You are giving people the education and tools to advocate and think for themselves, not necessarily just what you want To follow your agenda. I mean, I think that's a tricky thing with leadership because a lot of people, it's like, well, I'm going to give you this education, but I need you to be my minion and follow me and, and be a part of my army. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm giving you the tools and I have to be resigned to the fact that you may start your own army and sometimes our armies may not work in lockstep yeah, together. Yeah, which is directly connected to you're talking about ranked choice voting. So my suggestion to uh, NAACP and even to my Brooklyn NAACP membership was that we w- didn't take a position in okay. support or oppose for ranked choice voting and that we focus more on implementation if it passes. Members was like, nah, B. what did they want they were like we're not for it oh they wanted no and they voted no right and so then as leadership i have to go based upon that like i can't push i was i tried to give my argument my thing Uh whatever and it was like that's nice that's cute (laughs) and that's that's cute cute. but we don't want this trash (laughs) right and then you know and so it was like okay so you know move forward but there's still the issues of implementation which i know we'll get to yes because i'm i'm chomping at the bit to get to that so i i do want to though talk briefly, though, about what the Brooklyn NAACP is doing. Because, you know, we always have conversations about, you know, oh, some of these historic organizations, they're antiquated, and we need to, you know, just sort of give all of our time and money to, like, these new young organizations. It's like, well, I do think that there is a space and a value, A, for all organizations, Mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, But tell us some of the things that you all are doing, especially under the new leadership of Derek Johnson. Yeah. but also Brooklyn has different needs than, say, you know, the, the Alabama chapter, the Montgomery chapter of the NAACP yeah. or even the Oakland chapter of the NAACP. Well, see, here's another instance where education is important because people assume that the NAACP is one um, holistic organization mm-hmm. that is done from the top down, meaning all of the decisions and stuff are made. Pre- you know, Derek Johnson makes the decisions and like we just follow. And that is not the case. <laughs> okay. and, and for our <laughs> listeners, we're talking about the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Yes, because well, again, um, we're in a new era and not everybody knows what the NAACP yeah, is. We have so, to remind, yeah, because so I, I mean, when I start people. saying SNCC and CORE and SCLC, my students are like, we have zero idea what you're talking <laughs> like, about. I don't know that alphabet soup that right. you are talking. So the National Advancement for the Association. The, the National, National Association, Association for, for the, the Advancement, Advancement of, of Colored, Colored people. people. I'm having my first cup of coffee, so you see I'm just like <laughs> twisting everything around. Um, so, and yeah, so people believe... Eljoy is the president of the Brooklyn chapter. Brooklyn branch. Brooklyn because branch. NAACP has branches, not chapters. Mm. And the reason being is we are the oldest civil rights organization in this country. Um, and it's also an organization that operates from the bottom up. So we have branches all across the country And what issues the National Association um, chooses to focus on and advocate or whatever comes from those branches. Comes from the and so Derek does not tell you all police reform is our issue. The branches tell Derek 
police reform or yeah because first of all he's hired help i mean not to do like not to (laughs) we love you Derek. (laughs) yes i I love him to death right but um is because the board the national board is actually the governing body you know of naacp who then hires the president and ceo of which there's never been a female right no merle evers um merle evers was the president yeah naacp she board i know she was board chair um and she yeah i think I don't know. No, she, we no, gotta, no. We got to go to the Google. Chair. I think she was board chair. I don't think that there's <gasps> ever been a female president. And CEO. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, right. Maybe we had to get on the recruiting. Uh, we had to get on the Google <laughs> and, and um, try that out. But I know, yeah, okay. Anyway, so they hire the president and CEO, which does the day-to-day, but the board is actually the governing body of the National Association. What issues get discussed and prioritized and things of that nature comes from the branches. We pass um, resolutions and bring it to our national convention and we vote as members from all across the country and vote on what issues, what our position is on particular issues and things of that nature. And so people believe that there's just this one, you know, entity. But as you mentioned, you know, what issues may be happening here in Brooklyn are very different than what may be happening in Oakland. And also they are living under different political Mm -hmm. uh, structures as well. Right. Um, And And do you work closely with, say, the other branches in the New York City area? Yeah. So how it then works is, um, you know, you have your branch that is then part of here in New York. Our branch is part of the Metropolitan Council. So that's all of the branches in New York City. And then there's the state NAACP, which we are all under the leadership of Hazel Dukes, um, who's the president of the state, you know, NAACP mm-hmm. state. And then we have regions. And then we belong to region two. Um, even though we were founded here, I don't know why we're region two. I think about history in a different way. Um, and then that reports to the to the national um, uh, to the national office. Okay, so let's get to the getting because when you mentioned you had some thoughts as, as the president about ranked choice voting and how you wanted to position yourselves, um, and and the rank and file membership had different thoughts. Um, I wanted. I wanted to get your opinion on sort of 2021. I mean, because this will be the first time New Yorkers will go to the polls. We know we have abysmal turnout, um, under 20%, even for mayoral elections. But people will go to the polls, and they will have an option of voting for or ranking ranking five, five. Ranking yep. five candidates. Um, and we, we already know some of the cast of characters who will be on the ballot, most likely, Corey Johnson, who's the speaker, Ruben Diaz Jr., who's the Bronx Borough president, Eric Adams, who's the Brooklyn Borough president, Scott Stringer, former Manhattan Borough president, current um, controller. Uh, you know, there's rumors that Maya Wiley could jump in. What? Um, I mean, that's, you know, this is when you read City and State and Gotham Gazette, you know, they're, they're just like lots of buzzes, right? Um there might even be some some council members. You know, Jumani says he definitely doesn't want to do it, but Jumani who's to Amy. say? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, you know, so we already know that we've got at least four definites and, and possibly a lot more. Who do you think ranked choice voting could help in well, 2021? Before we even get there, my concern on the ranked choice voting situation has been on voters, not okay. necessarily 
but also inclusive of candidates. You mean voter education on how to do it? The, or voting, pro- the voting process in general. So, I mean, from the outset, as I've said, even when we had these discussions during the charter revision process, I support ranked choice voting in general, but with anything, it depends on the implementation mm-hmm. of, a, of a policy and of particularly something as important, um, at least from the NAACP perspective, we feel as elections. Also pause in that if we had a fully enforceable Voting Rights Act, I was about to say, yeah. because we have two voting rights um, districts in New York City, it would also require us to do a real impact study of how ranked choice would impact people of color here in the city. And not just using, you know, only statistics and data from Oakland and Maine and other places mm-hmm. that have it, but sort of having a real understanding of given our population, given the number of languages we translate into, given, you know, all our, of those our things. Our turnout numbers. Our and, turnout numbers and all those things, how ranked choice would yeah. um, impact our system and impact voter enfranchisement of uh, particularly black folks or people of color in the city. I wasn't satisfied that we had a full grasp of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the questions of implementation was also something that was on the table um, and concerning of um, the Board of Elections is already underfunded, right? So what amount of money is necessary for them to even do implementation as the Board of Elections, but then also education, you know, to the amount of people that are in New York City, which is totally different than any other city that has ranked choice voting. Right. I mean, we are, we have a very large voting eligible population. I mean, I think that to me, the education piece before we even can have a conversation about the implementation piece is worrisome just because explaining it to voters needs to be done in a succinct way. And we don't, you know, I was thinking about like putting together like a Ted Ed cartoon or something where and it's exist. short yeah, and, and succinct. Like, oh, yeah. Where it's like, okay, here's what would happen. But it needs to be in a way where it reaches older people and young people. Yes. And, you know, I said in our last episode, our election night episode, where, you know, there was a journalist who was joking around like, oh, you get to vote all the time and for everyone. I was like, stop joking. Like that's actually not helpful because right. some people do think, oh, so I'm voting for all five people or how does this exactly. – it's like, no, no, no. We have to have a fundamental re-education process for what this looks like. Not to mention, roll back, I don't even think that there was enough time based upon the charter revision process to educate New York City residents in general about the question – being on the ballot in the first place. Mm -hmm. I would have liked for us and, you know, any council member that's listening to this now and perhaps we can think about doing some legislation or something about this before, that things like, you know, changing the structure of our election system or talking about ballot initiatives of that kind should be on the ballot of the next highest turnout um, and not just the next election, right? Because if you would have put it on November 2020's general election ballot, that would have also given us the time to educate voters about even the question and about the changing question, whatever being stop. on a thing. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we had a very small time frame to even educate people about it. And then we come to the last minute and as some groups usually do, and then they try to find affinity groups and let's find people to talk to black people so they can be on board it. And then they do the thing, which I hated through this process and literally would cuss people out when they would try to lobby me about supporting it. I was like, look, I support ranked choice voting in general. Talk to me about the implementation mm-hmm. because you can't just say, let's just vote on this thing and let's just have it and move full steam ahead when we haven't had the conversation right. about education and implementation. Well, but I then they would quote at me, well, this is going to be good for black people because in Oakland, I'm like, this this is not... Well, see, and I Oakland. thought, I was actually, <laughs> I was offended by, yeah, because Oakland is like the size of, you know, like, one Stytown. Senate district, <laughs> right. one state senate district um, is the size of Oakland. My frustration was the argument against ranked choice voting, which was it's too complicated for colored people to understand. I was like, I'm sorry, Wait, what who now? Wait, that? Like, there was someone who was advocating, uh, I caught him on the news, and he was just like, it's just a really complicated process and for people no. of color. And it's like, listen, first of all, we know that seven-point font on the back of any ballot is inappropriate. Exactly. Uh, we know that 900 words to explain anything is actually not helpful. You know, I read through those ballot measures. Yep. Time and time again, and I was like, and if I, am I educated political science self, think that this is somewhat confusing and poorly worded, I'm sure that other people who don't have time to just dedicate a full subway ride to sort of think about these issues, I get that, and that goes across New Yorkers, but some of the reasoning to not want ranked choice yeah. voting was... Not well thought out. No. I mean, and like I said, even folks who were thinking about incumbency and sort of thinking about themselves as candidates, I was like, before we even get there, Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet. Because I'm still at education and implementation before we even get to how does this decrease or may increase in, you know, candidates of color is if you have a system that people don't understand how to use, um, if you have if something as fundamental as voting, like that's a problem. And as I testified and told people, I was like, you know, we think of voter suppression as only when some random white dude and, you know, with a hidden, you know, KKK robe in his closet trying to prevent black people from voting. That's how we think of voter suppression. But not having education of the system, not having access or whatever, that is also voter mm-hmm. suppression. And so if you have a new system that you do not have the funding necessary to educate people on, that people do not understand um, how to use uh, the process, candidates don't know how to use um, the process and the impact it would have on their races, that is also voter suppression. Um, and those were the issues that we were bringing up. You mentioned the 7.5 font, you know, on the back... That, I mean, ballot design is another. There's no other state um, or entity that has ranked choice voting that translates uh, as many languages as we do. So what impact will that have mm-hmm. on ballot design when you're talking about doing ranked choice voting? Right, because they said it was 900. It's, first of all, it was 7 point font. 7.5 <laughs> is, is being generous, but it was 7 point font. And they there was, I think Gotham Gazette had the piece where it was 900 words total in English. But when it was translated into mm-hmm. Spanish, it was 2,100 words. So that's a lot of reading for someone who's in a ballot booth who possibly stood in line because we know that the lines weren't terrible this time around. But we do know in 2020 and 2021, we're going to have obscene lines right. um, and possibly to an already underfunded system. I mean, completely underfunded. See, so that so so that was my concern. Not And so just having a system that you think is going to be more inclusive, um, it means nothing if your education and implementation is not done properly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, 
you know, I, we had a problem with, you know, putting it on the ballot and sort of not having as much time to educate people about that. Also, the language I've been saying that it has to, you know, the other thing that was said to me is that, well, the language says to take effect as early as I think the language is January 20, you know, um, mm-hmm. 2021. And I was like, and so you act like y'all not going to be protesting if it's not immediately right well, i mean <laughs> like, like how's that supposed to happen right. i'm like no i was like so there's still the implementation plan so i'm actually uh re- releasing a letter at the beginning of um next week you know laying out these issues again and calling for like I- I- immediate hearings or immediate discussion on the implementation because the other thing that um gets in gets in the way um, no, ranked choice voting will not affect how we're going to vote next year for president and for our state assembly and the Senate folks or whatever. But we're going to have to be doing implementation discussions and planning during a presidential election mm-hmm. cycle. How many people will be paying attention? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, th- that's the other thing to think about. People will be traveling and doing stuff and, you know, traveling all the world trying to advocate for a particular presidential candidate or things like that. Council members do that as well, right? And so will they be present for hearings and discussion on implementation? I can tell you that everybody jumps bad and wants to hold a press conference and stuff after election day after everything is wrong. But during the year when right. either, you know, and listen, Board of Elections is not, <laughs> like like the best, right? But sometimes they'd be like, yeah, and we have a hearing on so-and-so or looking for impact, and it'd be like me, Common Cause, and like four other people there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, right. you know what I'm saying? But everybody wants to have a press conference the day after election day, and we're like... Oh, where were you? <laughs> where were you? You know, so these are the things that are left on the table, mm-hmm. questionable. And so before I even get to how this will preserve, you know, candidates or incumbency or anything like that, those questions have to be dealt with. Right. Can I ask a oh. question? Now? Oh, welcome back, Harry. <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> fresh from impeachment. <laughs> so we have early voting now. Yes. Which we campaigned a long time for, and it, it, it better better late than never. It's a really really nice thing to have, mm-hmm. um, and we will also see how that plays out when when more people turn out to vote. Yes, um, we we have ranked choice voting, and we have the, the board of elections, which is like one of the last sort of patronage operations left in New York. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your outlook as of now? Before it's too late, and we have the press conferences the day after where people are <laughs> outraged on on uh, how prepared. The board is for huge turnout in 2020 and then very competitive and complicated elections here in 2021, hopefully with huge turnout as well. Yeah. Um, So, you know, NAACP is going to continue to bang the drum on this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as I said, voter suppression is not just an evil person trying to prevent black people from voting. You know, it is also the lack of resources. It is also the lack of education. You know, all of those things contribute to that. And, you know, we don't think about unintended consequences of something. So the Board of Elections sending out those little cards, right, was to give you information about what your ED and AD is so you can skip doing the information table when you go into uh, the your voting site and a way to give you information. But the unintended consequence was people thinking they had to have that in order to vote and also um, poll workers asking people for ID. 
right? Um, where in New York, it's illegal for you mm-hmm. to ask for ID unless it's required based upon. And as someone, I've trained, I trained poll workers in Brooklyn um, for the city as well. And I always tell poll workers, you know, um, the only reason you ask a voter for ID is if the book tells you to, which means you have to ask their name first, not for ID. You know, so like the unintended consequences of those things. So was it bad that Board of Elections did the cars? No, but the way in which mm-hmm. it was implemented and the, <laughs> and the education of the workers and also the voters, whatever was off. becomes the issue. If you went to their website, right, to see where your voting place was and your early voting place was and your sample ballot, um, you know, they started a new website for this. It's not terrible. It's actually right. sort of useful if you can find it from their yes. old website where they say go there. And then you put in your information and it shows you where your early voting is great and where your, your day of voting is because those right. are different now. Yep. And then your sample ballot is a tiny, tiny link in the top right after yep. you click through three screens to see it. And by the way, it's still in the same 7.5 point, yep. 7.5 point that, <laughs> that, that, that is unreadable. So I had people calling me up you know, who wanted to early vote and on election day, like, how do I find this? It's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't think they answered anyone because if it's not a, a disaster and if it's a disaster, the money's already been spent yep. and, you know, the workers have already been paid and, and then it's another couple of years till the next disaster. Like, I just don't think they have to think about customers. And that, that to me is a form of voter suppression. Like people who want to yep. vote, who want to see all this, would like to know what all five things on the ballot are. Like, yeah. like they don't. And, and you're right. And we get calls, you know, um, you know, my cell phone becomes like voter protection hotline on election day. It's mm-hmm. always hilarious. And elected officials be giving out my cell number. So those of you listening who keep giving out my cell number on election day. Stop doing that. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> but- well, I've also just turned, I mean, I've always been the person where because I read through the ballot initiatives on every single election and because I do the research, my phone on election day just becomes like, so Houdini, like, tell me who I'm supposed to vote for. Who am I supposed to vote for? I'm like, well, you know, and I don't mind telling you, but, you know, all this information is available and I would like you to make your choices. I mean, I know what I like. That's not what they want. But it's like, no, what am I voting one through five? Like, just tell me that. My my dad, who uh, passed away a couple of years ago, it was a tradition that every election day he was going to call me from the booth. Oh, and I remember there was one instance, inside the booth. In the inside the booth, back when we had the pull levers, uh-huh. which I miss. Oh, but <laughs> back when we had the pull levers, my dad was in the booth, called me to ask me who to vote for, and then one of the poll workers was telling him, "Sir, you can't be on the phone." Right, <laughs> right. He's like, "I'm talking to my booth. daughter." He was like, "I need to know who to vote for," and so my, she was like, "Man, sir, you cannot do it." And I'm like, "Dad, you need to get off the right. phone." Right, text me. <laughs> but yes, that is what mm-hmm. people do because mm-hmm. they don't have all of the information and some of the calls that I got right. um, on election day was like okay what we doing on question one okay <laughs> what we doing on question two and, you know and being an NAACP president people you know people include themselves in the we so there's like okay what we supposed to do and I'm like okay don't we not supposed to right. <laughs> that's not our recommended answer right, right? Like, right. like please don't and but they were like oh, who are we voting because people still can't say Jamani's name so they was like <laughs> so I would say you know Jamani will or whatever for people that were calling in and he was okay how you spell her name i'm like no, no. it's not a it's please okay <laughs> well i you know my litmus test is always how long you're know, going back to harry's point about the websites how long does it take me to find something and this is someone who's relatively familiar with 
a board of elections website or who's on the ballot.org yeah. or different ways where I can find information. I also research for a living. So like I know how to use the internet in a pretty legitimate fashion. If it takes me quite some time to find my ballot or find my polling station, then I know that each 30 second increment, we've lost potential voters. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, some of these websites are like websites to nowhere. And I'm like, well, wait, it's, it says Board of Elections, but this isn't actually what I want or what I need. And so, you know, I thought the education piece for early voting, I'm so excited we finally got early voting as New Yorkers. But, you know, I went to early vote to my polling station, and my polling station wasn't one of the early voting stations. Right. Because the education piece about polling stations not for early voting yep. being a select being a separate- series of locations. Yeah. You know, which is not what we wanted. We actually wanted to have locations mm-hmm. because we have electronic poll books that you should be able to go to any early voting site near you uh-huh. in your county and then vote that way. That's not how they implemented. Right. Again, implementation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so even after you pass a law or sort of be part, you know, part of that, there is still how things are implemented and again, educating people about the process. And then also educating elected officials how they need to push and change that system, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, Board of Elections, as you mentioned, is one of those that is still very patronage, very, you know, thing uh, um, in terms of people placing people in poll worker jobs and things of that nature. On Election Day, when I said I'm sending a letter about poll workers asking for ID, I said I was sending it not only to the Board of Elections, but also to district leaders, Mm -hmm. district leaders who help decide who the poll worker are going to mm-hmm. be in mm-hmm. those districts, right? And so we're going to organize. And where's their training? And- right. So we're going to organize as in uh, Brooklyn NAACP doing a training conversation with district leaders who are appointing people to be poll workers, mm-hmm. you know, and say, you know, saying at your Democratic clubs, at your Republican clubs, what you know, whatever, this is how you should reinforce this, this language because, you know, because this is what the law is or this is better implementation in that way. Um, it's also educating both council members and Senate and Assembly members because, remember, Board of Elections is a complicated city-state, mm-hmm. city, you know, sort of mm-hmm. all the operation as well, about what can be done um, for better implementation as well. So we can't continue, which is always a refrain, I say, we can't continue talking about New York as this progressive mecca, and we're still doing shit as backwards. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, and so we can't, you know, for something as important as voting, like, we can get things like this right. You know, there are things that we can do to tweak the system, to make it better, um, to encourage people um, and provide information for our turnout to trend upward instead of downward. So should I nominate you to be head of the Board of Elections? I would. That is my dream job. Let me tell you something. If I was head of Board of Elections, it would be like this ship would I'd be have so a tight. reality show. <laughs> I'd be like out in the street, like, you know, doing education things on the corner. Like it would be awesome. Hey, ask, believe, receive. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Chrissy and Harry are going to put it out there. I'll join for a head of board of elections. Yeah, but... Um, I mean, because listen, we know that our election process would be tight. Yeah, there would be... <laughs> I mean, listen, there would be... For anybody taking on these jobs, right... And, you know, I try to do a balance of people telling people don't beat up on poll workers, right? These are individuals, um, you know, who, you know, some of they've been doing this for a long time. They love doing it, providing them with information. And it actually really changed my perspective when I started 
um, training poll workers. One, to understand, oh, this is why you do things this way because the training that you receive, which was also cut. Right. Mm-hmm. So the training that the number of hours of training that poll workers used to get was is has also been shrunk. Right. So that's not a failure on them as poll workers. That's mm-hmm. even not a failure on Board of Elections staff who actually has to do this training. They're doing the best that they can with the resources and the time. The they limited have, resources. Right. Who and then that there's money? uh I don't think it was a necessarily someone specifically. It was we don't have a lot of time, you know. We I think the training is like seven hours, if I remember correctly, or something. And just imagine what you have to train people on in that amount of time. Um, no, the seven hours may be us as train train the trainers or whatever, but it's a shortened amount of time. It's a three or four hour class, you know, for poll workers. And then the book that you get of the things you have to remember, you have to know how to work the equipment, how to f- fix the equipment. Poll workers used to be able to fix it. And then they were like, okay, let's not do that. Let's just let the supervisors fix it. Right. So there are all of these things. And I also feel like, you know, f- because this is a very political uh, process, you know, I would encourage, you know, elected officials and folks that are involved in this to also talk to the people who are training poll workers, designing the training. Um, and all. They have tons of suggestions and things of how to fix things to make it streamlined. Because they're doing it, it. Because they're doing it on a, you know, on a regular basis. And they just get dictated to. Okay, now you have to do this and do it in four hours. And they're like, all right. <laughs> you know, or now you have this amount of money, you know, to do this. You know, and then there's some things that are antiquated in the law according to that. So according to the state charter... I believe this is a state charter. There, you have to have one Republican, one Democrat in terms of poll workers, um, and there are is only one job you can do where you don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat, because in the charter it says the two largest par- parties. It's that's the balance, right? So that means if you're an independent, that means if you're not registered in a party or whatever, there's only one job you can do as a poll worker, which is stand outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than Do you work. know being able to you know um uh help with the machine or translate or so you know or any of that kind of stuff right so there are all of the those little tweaks and fixes right in New York City you know 17 year olds can work the polls you know that's not the case in the entirety of the state um so there are all of those little things that having someone as a real champion um for for the board of elections not always antagonistic to the mm-hmm. board of elections is really sort of coming to the table and saying okay y'all know y'all do this all the time or day like give me right if i was in the position you know to do that and i do try to advocate you know, and take message from the staff at Board of Elections and they'll say, here, this is what you should <laughs> like advocate for, you know, and they'll pass me and just like, don't put my name around <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever, you know, but listening to them, it's like, okay, we're all committed to make this better. What's something we can do? And then actually pushing it forward. So yeah, you know, people who are incumbents and love power like to keep systems the way they are because it maintains their power. But you need people who are committed to making sure that, your goal, your focus is how to make sure 
as many people as possible have the information and are empowered to vote. Mm -hmm. And that's your goal, right? It's not to make sure that you get elected or your party gets elected or any of that. It's you're focusing on making the system best for the voter, not just for the candidates. Wow. Well, we have to have you back (laughs) so we can talk about candidates at some point. Yes. Because we talked about systems today, but... I want to get your your thoughts on you know some of the contenders for these really important offices. I mean, and I've got, met with some of them. Uh huh. And I've met with like I think eleven people running for something in twenty twenty one. Uh huh. Well, we've got controller. We've got mayor's race. We've got borough presidents. We've got Manhattan DA. Most of a new council. Yeah. 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 Like most of the council um is up and everybody named Mama. And then not <laughs> people named Mama right know that they have to run in new districts. Mm-hmm. Because I met with candidates who, you know, I was telling them, I was like, oh, you know, and then for your strategy, you have to figure out like running in 2021, but then also running in a new district after the lines are drawn two years later. And they were like, no, council districts are, you know, council terms are four years. And I was like, no, boo. Yeah, no, boo. <laughs> like, <laughs> like under, understand what you, what your job is and what you want your job to be. It's like, no, boo. Like, you're going to have to run yeah. in the new district. <laughs> Too, right. like in two years. Right. Well, I mean, I think that the strategy for people who are running for mayor and controller is going to be really different with ranked choice voting because you can't just rely on either your borough or your your you just particular say, Make base. Me number two. Yeah, but I mean, and there's certain people who have personalities where it's like, oh, you're solid number two. Okay. Yeah, and then may pull it out. Hmm. Mm. Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay. <laughs> promise us you'll come back. Yes, I will come back. Um, and the word, uh, the phrase that pays today is education and implementation. Yeah. And Harry and I are going to put out in the universe that you're our new head of the Board of Elections. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Eljoy. Uh, Eljoy is the host of Sunday Civics. Look at you. I know. Not Civic Sunday. I had a little coffee. That's why. Um, Eljoy is the host of Sunday Civics and president of the Brooklyn NAACP branch, not chapter. Um Promise you'll come back? I will come back. Okay, thanks. And then so I can much. talk about my other jobs. Oh, listen. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the headleads from uh, In Living Color. FAQ. FAQ NYC is brought to you by a grant from Civil and also from listeners like you. Harry Siegel and I would like to thank Eljoy Williams for joining us. Eljoy Williams is the host of Sunday Civics Podcast. She's also the president of the Brooklyn NAACP branch. We want to thank our executive producer, Alex Brooklyn, and Adam Kamara for mixing today's episode. As always, we recorded today at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research. We also wanted to give a special shout out to Mara Gay and Emma Goldberg. If you all will remember, Mara and Emma joined us a few weeks ago to talk about their amazing New York Times article, quote, when poor people are beaten for seeking help. Well, it seems as though the Sydney Hillman Foundation has awarded Emma and Mara the November Sydney Award for their amazing expose of the physical and sexual abuse at New York City's largest social service agency. Congratulations again to Mara and Emma for your hard work and brilliant reporting. Insert air horns. So congratulations. And speaking of FAQ guests, Alex, what's happening this coming Monday? 
This Monday, uh, the Thirst Storytelling Series is going to be at the Freehand Hotel in their studio. It's from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., and it's a storytelling series that has a few practice storytellers. The theme this month is food. Ollie Winston, who was on our show talking about cops test-a-lying, is going to also be telling a story around the theme food. The last half hour of the show is going to be reserved for kind of an open mic impromptu if somebody wants to come up and tell like a three to five minute story it should be a fun night all around again that's the freehand hotel on 23rd and lexington monday november 18th 7 p.m to 9 p.m remember the fact we'll see you next week